Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and today I'm joined by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor of the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good, Andrew. I, uh, I'm chilled to the bone after a short walk across the street to the Cornerstone for lunch. I know, right? Uh, how was your Christmas? Christmas was great. Went down, saw family down in Chicago, and bounced all over the city, a ton of different events. Um, what about yourself? I went down just a couple hours to Fond du Lac. That's where my in-laws still live. Uh, my parents came up the the week before Christmas, so we had kind of our staggered holidays. Uh, but that was probably the last time that we're going to go down to Fond du Lac to, uh, to celebrate with them because they're moving up to Door County this coming oh, year. Oh, wow. So it'll be my first Christmas in Door County next year, which is going to be exciting. Nice. Uh, and then we have New Year's coming up. So uh, New Year's will be a couple days after this podcast comes out. Do you have any plans? Yeah, we're going to do big dinner at our house, and then uh, I live like a mile down from Husby's where the big cherry drop's going down, so we'll uh, wander down into town. Hopefully it's not raining like this. Hopefully we actually have snow on the ground, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how many people turn out for the cherry drop this right. year. You were there last year, right? That was the first year, right? Yeah, and I had, you know, no offense to the lodge and the folks who put this on, but I had low expectations. It's sponsored and kind of organized by... Jamie Forrest at the 106.9 The Lodge. And uh, I went into that like wondering, like, what the heck is this going right. to be? Well, I mean, more than anything, it was really cold last year. Freezing. Last um, year. It was one of the coldest years that we'd had in a long time. Even the, the polar bear plunge the following day was like people were wondering if they were actually going to do it or not. Yeah, it was it was very icy. And there was a question of whether or not the, the, the drop would actually work and the lights would turn on because they didn't anticipate it being that cold. But it was really cool. Went off with no hitches other than like the, I think the, uh, the sound system they had for the music they were playing might have cut out at a few different points because of the cold. But there was a huge crowd, might have been, I mean, I would guess at, at minimum like 500 people might have been up around 1,000. Right. Um, the Sister Bay Bowl was packed, Chop was packed, Husby's was packed, and everyone was out in the street. So I think this year they're planning on having a little more crowd control because it was kind of funny last year. Everyone just kind of hung out in the street, but there was not actually any barricades or anything to stop oh, traffic. Really? <laughs> so as I looked around, I was like, well, hopefully nobody comes flying down the hill right now. Right. But uh, yeah, really cool scene. And last year was like the most lively that I've ever seen any part of Door County on New Year's Eve. I mean, that's Door County, is it normally kind of quiet around this time of year? Well, I mean, it's always... It's always busy, like in a bar. Right. Like you'll there are certain bars where everyone goes on New Year's Eve. You know, like Bayside would always be busy. Husby's would always be busy. Sister Bay Bowl. I'm sure, there's a couple. Like I'm sure Stone Harbor is busy and, and places down in Sturgeon Bay. But it wasn't like there's never been like all right, everyone goes to this community on New Year's Eve. There was no like centralizing thing. And it looks like the Cherry Drop is kind of making that happen in Sister Bay. Right. I know that the Crest Pavilion is doing a New Year's party. They did one last year as well. Yeah, they had great attendance there too. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that um, if, if each town gets its own kind of like 
go-to spot for New Year's. It could be really cool to like, hey, we all in this town got together at the Crest or in Sister Bay. We saw the, the cherry drop. Uh, it would be cool, a cool way to get people out and connecting again. Yeah. Last year I did the, I went to the cherry drop, got some video of that, got up. My wife had to fly to India for work the very next morning at like, she had to leave at 5 a.m. So I got up with her and I was like, well, I'm already up. So I just went out and started getting little snippets of video from various things on New Year's Day. So went down to Appleport Road and got the sun rising on the first day of the year. And that was freezing, killed my battery. So I had to go charge the battery before I did the next thing. Went down and checked out some of the polar bear plunge. Went down to Sturgeon Bay to Snowcraft Nordic and did some fat biking on that incredible trail down there because they do like a New Year's Day ride. I didn't make it all the way back up to Ephraim for the Frostbite Open last year. And I, I unfortunately, that was the last time. They're not doing that this year. Right. But yeah, it's kind of fun to just try and start the find a, find one thing to do on that first day of the year to kind of like start the day off right. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, I think, is kind of looking forward to not leaving the house on New Year's Day, but we'll see. <laughs> Speaking of starting the year off, uh, we're going to jump into our feature here pretty quickly, but there's a couple of things that we wanted to talk about that have happened in the last week or so. Uh, Number one, Peyton Pluff had a really cool achievement for women's basketball, right? Yeah. um, Peyton Pluff is a senior at Gibraltar High School. She's been putting up points since her her freshman year on the girls' basketball team there. And last Thursday, she was five points away from her scoring her 1,000 point in her career. And uh, that's a, a huge achievement for high school basketball. Um, only 13 guys in the county have ever done it. And only three Gibraltar girls have ever done it. And I'm not sure how many girls countywide have, but it's, it's one of those milestone achievements in basketball. And who keeps track of your points? Do you keep track of them or are they kept track of by the school? Oh, it's just so this, when you're the coach, you, you keep a scorebook for each game. And after the game, you submit that to the, all the statistics would get su- submitted to the conference. And so they keep track. However, there's not like a historical database for the conference or for the county in in like a, a very official form. The best we have is what um, Corey Mallion, the longtime sports writer for the Door County Advocate, did a great job covering high school sports up here for 25 years. He's now the athletic director at Southern Door School. But he went through, he and John Gass and some folks, years ago, went through all their box scores that had ever appeared in The Advocate and kind of cobbled all this stuff together and then worked with some of the schools to create, like, as best they could, like, the all-time scoring list. And they were able to figure out who had passed the 1,000-point mark. Some of those, a lot of times when a guy does score that many points, the school has actually been keeping pretty good track. So, like, Dave Vosco back in the late 60s scored over 1,460 points for Gibraltar. Um, And he was the leading scorer all-time for a long time. But um, Until you came around, and then you scored 2,000 points, right? Yeah, I scored two. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, with, with Peyton, what was, it was just a really cool night. I pulled into the gym, and you know, high school basketball games don't always get a ton of attendance now. And when I pulled up into Gibraltar, the parking lot was packed. And, and then when you walk into the gym, the whole gym was packed with kids, and there's just kind of a really cool atmosphere in there. And she scored six of the schools, or six of Gibraltar's first eight points on the game, Got her spot on the the right low block, uh, caught an entry pass from Kayla Ballingstad and kind of put it up, muscled it in, and the gym just erupted. Uh, huge roar in there, and the and the game was over, right? That's like yeah, catching the yeah, golden. They, yeah, snitch. they called it right there. They're like, all right, there's a thousand points, it's over. But um, what really made it uh, a, kind of a touching moment is her father had passed away five years ago, almost to the day, um, and he had brain cancer. 
he used to coach at Gibraltar. He was actually uh, an assistant coach when I was in, I think, a freshman in high school. And, you know, he was a guy that um, players loved. There's tons of kids who would still call him, like, their favorite coach that they ever had. And he coached at the youth levels. And I just remember when he was, um, like, a middle school coach at Gibraltar and would come into the coach's room and start talking about Peyton and his daughters and they were playing basketball and he just would beam. He was so happy to talk about it. So you could tell then that he had a big connection through basketball with his daughters. And I talked to Peyton after the game and she kind of reiterated that same thing. She said that the fact that it came almost five years to the day after he died made it feel for her more like he was there with her. And she talked about how they used to go. He would drive her to Green Bay for AAU basketball games and and talk about, well, one day you're going to score a thousand points. And, and sure enough, he, she did. So for me, it was an emotional uh, scene to watch. I, I got choked up just when it happened. Um, Cause you think about what that father daughter bond would be and how that would feel if, if you were in those same shoes. So then to also see the community come out for that special moment. And a lot of Randy's old friends were in the gym to support her and just to pack the house for a uh, late December basketball game right before Christmas. And then even the the two other Gibraltar girls who had scored 1,000 points, Debbie Anderson-Corden, who scored him in, I think, 1982 was her final year, and then McKenna Ash, who did reach the milestone in 2015, they both came back for the game so oh, to nice. support her. So just a really cool moment for uh, a great young athlete in person. Right. How many games does uh, an athlete play throughout high school, do you think? Uh, nowadays, I mean, it depends on how far you go in the tournament, but nowadays probably an average, probably 85, is a, 85 to 90 is a pretty good, if you played all four years of your high school career, um, 85 to 90 games would probably be about what you'd end up playing. And Peyton now is averaging about 17 points per game. I think she's third in the conference in right. scoring at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that at, at minimum, you'd have to score at least 10 or 11 points per game, too. And that's probably... And that's if you're playing as a freshman. And a lot of people, if you play as a freshman like Peyton did, but she only averaged about six points a game as a freshman. So really, if you think of it like sophomore to junior, sophomore, junior, senior, you kind of pretty much have to average right around 15 per right. game consistently, which is, and not get hurt. And yeah, it takes a lot of consistency, a lot of... Uh, Work in the off season, so is she a senior? She this is year? a senior. Okay. So. And, and Gibraltar has rallied. They were they started the season one and four. They're now five and four. So they're getting their their feet underneath them. And you know their their goal was to win conference. That's a a high bar to clear. But um, they're currently fourth and have put themselves in a pretty good position. Great. That's a really cool story. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that we wanted to talk about before we jumped into our feature, you wrote a a letter to our readers a little while back, and that's gotten a pretty cool response. Yeah, I just wanted to, as the year was coming to close and you start thinking about the year that was, and, you know, you do that in our office and, and looking at our business and, and the newspaper, and around the country, people are seeing newspapers dying, and you hear this all the time, all oh, newspapers are done, and, you know, for myself and Dave, people joke to us about it, like, oh, what do you do? Like, like anybody looks at print. Right. And we're really fortunate to have um, a dedicated base of readers in Door County that really value um, the print product and still love to get it in the mailbox and, and read the pulse each week. And I guess I wanted to write something that sort of showed where, how far we've come as a publication. And also, you know, that we aren't going anywhere. Um, our, our business is doing great. Our publication is doing great. And we feel the responsibility to the community to keep improving and, and keep adding things. So we get a lot of call for us to do more sports and, and provide more information 
So we've brought in Matt Pottis to write um, sports features each week, and we've done more to get more sports, high school sports content in the paper. Right. We've brought on Kevin Nazi, which was a I was really thrilled to see that he he contacted us a few weeks ago. I had tried to get him to start writing for us years ago. He's done like an outdoors column for various publications around the state for 30 years. He lives down in Kiwani, and that guy has his finger on the pulse of everything related to hunting, fishing, uh, the state parks, DNR. Even he really keeps tabs on like little rules changes that like that I wouldn't know about or even be in tune with, and like even know who to call, but he usually knows if they're if they're tweaking hunting regulations or fishing regulations and how that might impact all the people who love hunting, fishing, and getting outdoors. Right. So he uh, he contacted us contacted us and asked if uh, we'd be interested in picking him up, and I jumped right on it. I, I think it's a great resource. So we're trying to find more ways to add more content and keep providing people the information they they need, both from an entertainment standpoint, just something good to read, but also things that inform the decisions they're going to make in the voting booth, in uh, where they're going to buy their house, what's going on at their schools. So we know that there's a lot more out there to do. And I just wanted to, to write a note to say to readers that, that we're working on it and kind of just to thank our staff, like you and, and Aaliyah Kidd and some of these people who have come in the last year or so, come into the Pulse family, Matt Marcon, um, and really help us do some really cool stuff and serve this community. Right. And really, at the end of it, really just to thank the readers because, you know, we, Door County is a special place in a lot of ways, but in the climate today, in the media climate today, to have a community that supports a media business the way they do support the pulse, um, we're really fortunate. And it's a, it's a great responsibility that we have. Right. Um, and then you, you sent around some of the, the email responses that we got from this article, and that was really, really cool to see. A lot of people sharing their their love for what we do and just being appreciative uh, to to you for the article that you wrote, but then also to the whole staff for everything that we've done. And it was it was really cool to see that feedback. Yeah, I mean, and I, I wanted to make sure that the rest of the staff saw that because you know some of our staff isn't on Facebook, <laughs> and some of those emails came to me. And when you write a lot in the publication, you get that feedback. You see people commenting on your articles, or they'll email you back or they'll approach you. But then there's a lot of people who just, they do the editing, they do, or in your case, you do a lot of the film work for it that you don't maybe always get the direct response from or the the people that are four delivery drivers who manage to get the paper spread all over this big county right. every, every week. So, you know, all those things that people do in this office matter a lot. And without any of those things, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we do. And I just think, uh, yeah, I feel really lucky to be able to pursue the work that we do in like this beautiful place and um and be able to live here so and it's really gratifying to hear that from like when you look at those facebook comments it's cool to be the work that you do each day has this base of people who really appreciate what you're doing and i try not to lose sight of the fact that we're just really lucky to to be able to do that right so thank you to all of our readers and thank you to all of our listeners of the podcast and and any other way that you consume the peninsula pulse um looking forward to producing a lot more content for you next year. And uh, with that, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we will talk about five things to watch for in the coming year in Door County. 
They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Mackinac Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, Miles, as we wrap up 2018, there's a lot of stuff that we have kind of brewing for 2019. A lot of big things coming up that are going to hit Door County from construction to other events. And we just kind of wanted to look ahead and go through five things that we're going to have to look forward to and also to get ready for in 2019. Yeah, this time of year, there's there's not a lot of council meetings or town board meetings over the holidays. So there's not as much news to go out and cover in unless like some building starts on fire, which luckily nothing did over the holidays. What we tend to do is take a look at what are the things that we're going to be talking about in 2019, sort of try to make a prediction and, and give people a heads up. Right. And there's some there's some big stuff coming ahead this year. So one of the biggest ones I would guess right away would be all of the road construction that's going down on Highway 42. Yeah, that's going to be <laughs> there. We're going to do some things within our paper to produce some maps and publish updates on how those detours are going to affect people as they do major reconstruction in both Fish Creek and Ephraim. And the the worst parts of that will come from March through the end of May, and it'll still be pretty hairy in June. And then they'll shut down all the work from July and August. So like try and preserve like the meat of the, the tourist season. But it's going to be a hairy spring for businesses and residents in in the uh, March and April and May. Right. Well, I and we will get into all of this in a dedicated episode of the podcast where mm-hmm. we kind of lay things out. Has has Ephraim kind of decided what they're doing with theirs yet, or are we still waiting on final plans? They're they're expecting to get like kind of a final timeline once the once they get the bids returned from they have like a most of this work is being done by the Department of Transportation. Ephraim has bitten off a chunk of their work on their own that they had to bid separately because they're doing storm sewer and curb and gutter and sidewalks and bearing some power lines. So they had to do that all on kind of on their own little project. And once they get that bidding back, it's supposed to be this in January, um, then they'll have a firmer grasp on what the detours and timelines of those detours are going to be in Ephraim. Right. So as soon as we have that information, we'll put together a comprehensive guide of, of how to navigate all the road construction yeah. coming up. But I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit. This isn't just going to be a detour for traffic going north. It, I mean, this is going to close off access to certain places, and it's going yeah. to be impossible to get to certain businesses and locations. So, and if it's not impossible, it's going to be really difficult for some of them. Yeah. Um, I know that you're still going to be able to get to Gibraltar. The buses are going to be allowed through the entire time, of course. But um, this starts pretty much right before Wild Tomato in Fish Creek, right? Right after. Right um, after, okay. Basically, right at the entrance to Peninsula State Park, 
there's going to be a hard closure and for a couple of months. So you're not going to be able to just continue up 42. You're going to have to be able to take uh, some of the detours around to use county A to get north. Um, and same thing if you're coming from the north to get south. So it's going to be difficult. Some of those businesses stuck in that corridor. It's going to have a lot of impacts on parents getting their kids to and from school, users of the YMCA, and maybe even users of Peninsula State Park. Um, it won't be cut off, but I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't see people trying to use the park roads as sort of a, a workaround to get north and south right. in some points, because it might be, I mean, if it's not faster, it's going to be a more enjoyable drive. <laughs> so you might see a little more traffic in the parks in May. So, you know, as an organizer of the Door County Half Marathon, we gotta ha- we're going to have to pay really close attention to it for that as well, just to right. find out how it's going to affect our event. So the end result, hopefully we have really nice new roads in come end of October, early November next year. Right. Well, not only that, but better pedestrian walkways too. Yeah. More sidewalks. Uh, I feel like Fish Creek is going to feel a lot more connected from top to bottom because yep. of this. Yeah. Because um, when I think Fish Creek, and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if other people think this too, I really think about downtown. And then once you get to top of the hill, it always feels like north of Fish Creek. It feels like Fish Creek, then top of the hill. And then once you get like past the auditorium, that's air quotes, north of Fish Creek. Well, not, I, I'd even, I agree with what you first said. It's basically the hill where the homestead is sort of like feels like, all right, downtown's over. The reality is there are 600 kids, 100 employees, and an auditorium right at the top of that hill, a bunch of hotels, the Peninsula School of Art, and the YMCA. So there's like, there's more year-round activity that's not connected to Fish Creek than there is actually connected to Fish Creek. Right. So hopefully this kind of blurs those lines and makes Fish Creek feel as big as it actually is. Well, and actually just connecting. I mean, just making it something where people will walk those extra steps. And they ha- they're they going to put those medians in the middle of the highway so that people coming and going from the auditorium, um, people crossing at the YMCA in school, you're going to have a protected um, spot in the middle of the road so right. you're not just sprinting across traffic. Well, and that's huge. I mean, my hometown of St. Francis under- underwent like crazy construction and road change all in hopes of making it safer for students to cross from the school to others. Uh, we had just a highway that went through the town um, and the the school was right off it. Very similar to what we have in Fish Creek. Um, and it was that way the entire time that I went to high school. When I was in college, they dug up that entire stretch of road and put in two roundabouts, hmm. like two giant roundabouts right in the middle of town. It was the weirdest thing. But that was all in an effort to make it safer for students to cross the road or to get to school. Um, so many students, myself included, were were coming from the southern portion of town and walking across the bridge and then having to cross the street to get over there. But so many of them would cross the highway to get to the gas station to grab breakfast or something like that. Or they would go after school across to the shopping mall that was across from the school. And you just had to basically run with no crosswalks or, or stop signs to get over the highway. Now with these roundabouts, you actually have ways for pedestrians to walk over and safely cross the road. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be similar in Fish Creek. Yeah. Ephraim's getting a little bit better pedestrian access. I'm always shocked that Ephraim doesn't have sidewalks in major chunks of the, the village. So getting that improved is going to really help, um, I think, manage traffic in, in that town. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people who would rather see it just stay exactly how it is. They right. don't want Ephraim to change at all. But as someone who drives through there a lot, and you see like the hordes spilling out of Wilson's and there, there needs to be a little bit more management of right. um, some of those crowds that are kind of right up next to the highway. Well, and it's hard. Wh- while a lot of people are just staring out at the sunset, not looking for the kids that are wandering with their ice cream cones. Right. Well, I mean, 
peak season aside, during a lot of the festivals, it's hard to drive through Ephraim too because you have a narrow road with people parking on the road, no sidewalks, and then people crossing. It's yeah. it's hard to navigate that. And unfortunately, while they've been waiting to do this reconstruction project, they stopped painting any of the crosswalks about five years ago. So you really can't tell if you're driving that you're coming up on a crosswalk. Right. So, so w- once all that's done, it should be a much... Uh, and Fish Creek's got a, a new beach uh, project going in in coordination with the highway. So it's uh, there's a lot of nice improvements coming. Right. Well, we got new sidewalks in Sister Bay. Then we'll get new sidewalks in Ephraim and Fish Creek. And in 2020, we're going to connect all the sidewalks. So you'll be able to yeah, walk w- from Fish Creek to Sister Bay. I wish that were the truth. <laughs> what else do we have to look forward to in 2019, Miles? Well, one of the things that we'll be watching a lot, and, you know, there's not a heck of a lot to say about it now, but, you know, we have a Democrat in the governor's office the first time in eight years that that's been the case and the first time that Republicans have not had control of all three houses in quite a while. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play together. Basically, everything Tony Evers does, uh, Republicans have come out and found a reason to slam that. Just like for years, just about everything that Governor Walker did, Democrats came out and found a way to, to slam that. Even at the state level, there's there's much more of that uh, political game now than there than there was even 10 years ago. Um, so just seeing how those things shake out, what do the changes that the governor, that Tony Evers makes, how is that going to impact us? I mean, we'll have a new secretary of tourism. We'll have a new head of the DNR, had to have a new transportation, uh, head. So all these different positions, like, all right, now, how is that going to trickle down? Right. Um, a lot of the transportation funding issues have start, have impacted the lack of transportation funding, um, has impacted even Door County towns. We don't think of it as much because people think of big time state transportation funding and they think of highway projects and the cities. But like Sturgeon Bay has their crumbling roads. Um, the Liberty Grove goes to special assessment to pay for their uh, road work. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see wh- how how the new administration in the governor's office trickles down to us. Yeah. And like you said, these are these are big statewide things, but with the the DNR and transportation and tourism, those are all things that are huge in Door County. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a huge year for that kind of like trickle down affecting things in the local level. Also in the realm of of politics, we have city council elections coming up, right? Yeah. Uh, Sturgeon Bay City Council is going to look a lot different come April. They have we now officially have word that Kelly Catarazzoli, Barbara Allman, and and who are both co- council women are not going to run in 2019. So that will dramatically alter the makeup of the council. Plus, David Ward, another councilman, has decided he's going to run for mayor, so he won't be on the council, so that opens up that seat. And then Mayor Thad Birmingham, who's been a two-term incumbent, has decided not to run for another term as a mayor. So that's several different, up to as many as four different positions on the seven-member council plus the mayor. Um, So you're looking at 50% turnover. Right throw in the fact that we also had three council members turn over last year, you're looking at seven of eight positions being different within about a one-year span. So a much different council and a much different, I would think, no matter who wins the mayor, like uh, David Ward or Sean Fairchild, are either one of them is going to run the city much different than Mayor Thad Birmingham has. Right. So uh, covering the council is going to be much different. The, you know, Kelly Catarazzoli and Thad Birmingham do not get along. Uh, I've been in a lot of council meetings. You can feel the tension whenever those two are addressing each other. And I would call it from Caterazzoli's side, exasperation. Um, from the mayor's side, scorn, maybe would be the word. I mean, he, he just, uh, they 
they seem to be disgusted when they even look at each other. So that tension is felt in that room. And they've had several arguments in that room. And now they've both decided to leave. So it's going to be interesting to see. And the mayor has had tension with a lot of different council members. It's not just Kelly. But that's really been like the, the strongest sense of it. So I mean, maybe, maybe eliminating that element is going to be good for the council. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. And Sturgeon Bay is a place that is seeing a lot of change right now, not just politically, but uh, with a lot of businesses that are coming and going. Yonkers is vacant. Um, there's a lot of places that have kind of moved away in the last five, 10 years, but now there are things that are opening up down there too. Uh, 2019 could be a really interesting year to see how Sturgeon Bay changes both politically and physically. Yeah. And you know, they have the, the big school referendum coming up uh, that they probably will put be talking about this spring. Sturgeon Bay will likely go to referendum in the coming year. And then you have, you know, one thing that doesn't get discussed much. You mentioned Yonkers and that got discussed a lot, a lot in the last year. And the, what's going to happen with that, those two big spaces in the center of Sturgeon Bay. But a lot of Door County is economy is reliant on little shops, but usually it's mom and pop stores that aren't as susceptible to those big swings in the national economy and those big macroeconomic trends. Sturgeon Bay, a lot of their retail economy is big boxes. You have CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Target. So there is some measure of concern. If I were if I were a person who became mayor, I'd be looking really closely at how Sturgeon Bay is prepared to weather the storm if any of those types of places pull out. We have Shopco in Northern Door where their their corporate company has started to like downsize and close a lot of those small stores. With the trends in retail and the shift to online shopping, it's I'd be curious how long Sturgeon Bay can support so many of those big box locations. You could throw Dunham's into that kind of chain box um, category. And I would want to have a plan for that because right. The Kmart building sat empty for years before Tractor Supply came and used part of that building. And that just leaves a huge empty parking lot. The old Pomita and the old um, the old pick and save location, or no, save a buck location on Egg Harbor Road have sat empty almost more than half of my life now. And they've had a lot of different buildings like that that just sit empty. So when you get become reliant on those big boxes to kind of bring your tax revenue in and serve your community and employ your community, when one of them dies, there's 100, 200 employees out of work. Right. It has a much bigger impact. And then that trickles down because one of those closes, all those people are out of work. Now they're not spending their money at the other ones. So another one closes or a bunch of smaller places close. So that's uh, with the way retail is going. I'm not saying that that's going to be something that happens this year, but I also wouldn't have said last, if this time last year, I also wouldn't have said that Yonkers is going to close. Right. And so certain base probably got more fears along those lines, I would think, than other places. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how things shape up there. But I mean, that is to say, too, that there are a lot of things that are changing in, in Sturgeon Bay and coming in as well. Um, within the last couple of years, we saw Crate down in Sturgeon Bay and uh, Ryan from Discourse is opening up his small business incubator yeah, down Ryan there. Yeah, Ryan Castellens, who has Discourse Coffee Shop in Sister Bay is opening a little incubator on West Madison, right. on the west side of the city. Well, even the the makerspace that moved in down there. Yep. Um, I've been down there a couple of times for concerts and different, like, small shop events. Mm -hmm. um, really cool, interesting entrepreneurial opportunities are moving into to, are moving into Sturgeon Bay. 
in, in a place that it, it has this this interesting makeup of people who are all concentrated in certain places like the hospital and uh, base ship building. You have these huge like centers of industry with a lot of employees. And then you also have these kind of like shopping districts in Third Avenue and Jefferson Street and seeing how they all kind of coexist with each other. Plus with the tourists who are, co- who are coming up into Door County. Um, it, it, I know it's a concern in, in Sturgeon Bay when people at gas stations uh, get asked, you know, when do I get to Door County? It's mm-hmm. like you're already here. But then Bricklot opened up and Cherry Lane's Arcade Bar. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of interesting moving there, and shaking going on. There's some rumors I can't say. I can't report them. But there are some rumors of some other very interesting restaurants going in down there. You also have Canara. A couple of years ago, you had the Bay Loft Apartments built. And then you had Bayshore Outdoor Outfitters open their new location. Sunny's is talking about doing a little brewery down there. And Maritime Museum is talking about building, getting that Maritime Tower built. I mean, they still have to raise about $2 million, but they seem to have put a lot more new energy into kind of re-energizing that campaign. And if that happens, that could be really interesting if that um, turns out the way that the Maritime Museum hopes it does. And of course, there's the West Waterfront right. and the planning still going on there. But you touched on something that's really interesting in covering Door County in, is that the northern economy is so different than the, the southern. And when you look at Sturgeon Bay, that that grappling between sort of that old school industry, like small city of what they were built on, the shipyards and um, some of the manufacturing versus the people who are trying to build like a tourism base there. And it's kind of a fight over the city's identity. And it's too bad. It probably doesn't need to be a fight. They can coexist. I think like heritage tourism and kind of industrial tourism isn't the right word, but like there's something romantic and nostalgic about going to a small town that's also, that's beautiful and is on the water, but is also has this industrial might, you know, like in a city sense, you'd think like say Pittsburgh or Milwaukee, which have had these huge renaissances and they haven't like gotten rid of their industry. They've just kind of made it part of who they are and, and made it more authentic. It's not like they're trying to create fake spaces. At some point, they'll probably figure that out. They'll come to a, a middle ground, but um, that's something to watch in the year ahead. Right. Uh, two more things to look forward to in 2019. Uh, one is the Water Summit. Uh, the Celebrate Water group is, um, and Grace Johnson in our office has done a lot of work on this. They will have a major conference next June, June 4th through 6th, bringing in a lot of speakers and educational sessions and things just to talk about like the the impact of everything that we do every day on the water. And then really just, you can't stress enough how important water quality is to anywhere, but particularly in Door County. Um, we rely on it for tourism. We rely on it for our agricultural base mm-hmm. and and for the value of our property up here. Right. Well, and there's been a lot of different things that have been taking a look at and celebrating water in different ways uh, this last year. Um, Celebrate Water being a big one, but also Door County Reads is focusing on uh, the water this year for their 2019 campaign. Um, they're doing Death and Life on the Great Lakes as one of their books. And then another one that deals with uh, 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 Minnesota town kind of by the water. So both yeah. of them are going to be water centric. And and like you said, it, it's a it's a thing that is so important. So many people come up to Door County to experience the water in in really great ways. And uh, it's been cool to see galleries opening up series that deal with the water and really mm-hmm. just not only getting people to appreciate and enjoy activities on the water but also to understand the the threats that face the great lakes and some of the the more interesting things that have happened in the history of the great lakes i know that when we were 
researching shipbuilding, learning about the ballast water as an invasive species was really, really cool for me because it's something that I had no idea about, and it, it's such a big thing. And what that is is you're talking about the ballast water that's brought in from the oceans on these big ships that right. end up, once they're, that ballast water is discharged in the Great Lakes, so are all the the invasives that are in that water right. that and got picked something up in that, the ocean. Yeah, I never even thought about, but it's like they're they're full of water from the ocean, and of course in that water is going to be all sorts of organisms and life, and they come into a place that's totally different and, and completely sectioned off from the ocean and then dump all that water in. And you might think, oh, it's just water, but there's a ton of species that live in that water that they've brought over with them. So that's... That's I mean, how we have Phragmites. That's how we have right. so many of these different fish that, that the mussels that become um, just devastating on our lakes. Dan Egan, um, you mentioned Door County Reeds. Dan Egan is coming up to discuss his book, um, and he's been doing just incredible reporting for at least 15 years on the health of the Great Lakes. And he wrote a lot of really interesting things about just how poorly we've managed the Great Lakes. Like we, we'd probably be in much better shape if we just kept our hands off it. But like everything from the St. Lawrence Seaway, which is historically a huge financial boondoggle. But, you know, when I studied that growing up in school, they talked about it and we were taught it as like this celebration of great economic um, foresight and industrial might and ingenuity on the part of, of humans to manage the untamed waters and stuff. And the reality is it costs a ton of money and we don't get nearly a return on it that we should. Right. And there's a lot of things that we've done that way where we, we try to fix one thing and the fix that we put in place, we now have to fix the fix and fix the fix and fix. And we just keep chasing that down and it probably would have been fine. Just leave it. Yeah. So definitely another, another year of, of looking at the water. I'm going to pick up Death and Life on the Great Lakes and read it. I, I want to read both. I want to read both Door County Reads books this year, but that one has been on my radar for a while, and I'm I'm interested to actually dig into it because it's something that we take for granted. I mean, I used to go up to Duluth every year with my sister on vacation, and so I've spent a lot of time on Superior, and then right now we're right next to Lake Michigan, so it's like this is something that is important and I use, and I want to know as much as I can about it. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, one more thing to keep an eye on in 2019 is going to be housing, right? Yeah, so we are looking forward to the release. The Door County Economic Development Corporation did a survey last year, and the results of that survey and the analysis that comes from it, or they did a survey on housing and the housing shortages and where we have these huge gaps in Door County, and they're releasing the, the that survey and the, the analysis that came from it, um, hopefully early in the new year. Um, it was originally slated for August or September. So that's one that we'll keep an eye on. And then throughout the year, we'll be writing a lot of um, stuff on housing-related issues. Our sustainability issue in April will be focused uh, completely on um, housing sustainability in the county, which if we don't make some strides to provide seasonal housing and affordable year-round housing, our economy can't survive like right. this. Like, actually, Door County has a chance to be, I think, to do even better but businesses can't find the workers now because they can't find the housing for the workers. And that just has so many ramifications countywide, that, that lack of housing and the lack of ability to get workers here, which means that we can't turn those workers into long-term residents. Um, it, it trickles down and means that we don't have, those workers don't live here and have kids here to go to our schools. So we pay higher taxes for fewer students in the schools. Right. So there's a lot of ramifications of it um, that could, you can trace all of it right back to housing. Well, and this is this is probably my number one issue. Like my thing that I look for all the time is affordable housing and how it works. Luckily, 
like I'm I'm very lucky to have a home here, but my demographic, the the younger families are kind of the ones who struggle the most with this because you have a lot of our young employee base, the 16 to 21 year olds who uh, a lot of them get to live with family that lives up here. Uh, many of them take advantage of employee housing, uh, but there's there's certainly not a lot of places up here that that are able to offer that. Um, but I have a bunch of friends who are younger than me that uh, all have five or six roommates each. Like they've all gone in on places because it's the only way that they can make it work. And then you have the older demographic who uh, the the condos tend to cater towards. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the young families, I think, that are, that are facing the biggest shortage because it's hard to find an affordable house to 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 move into and to raise a family up here. And that that I think is probably the biggest issue because yes, we have a young employee base, and yes, we have uh, older families up here. But it's that that core group of young families who can start new generations, open new businesses. Uh, work in existing businesses and have kids that continue on here, that's, I think, where the shortage lies. Yeah, and it's I'm going to be interested to see if this survey addresses a few key things. One, the impact of Airbnb on the housing market. Um, we have 25,000 25, housing units in Door County. Only 12,000 are occupied at any given moment. So that's a ton of housing stock. And it used to be that a, a little chunk of that would make its way into the the year-round rental market um, or the summertime rental market and help to ease that. My hunch is that Airbnb has sucked a lot of that out of the market. So it's because you can you could rent an apartment. Let's say you had a second home up here or a condo. You might be able to rent that for six to six hundred to a thousand dollars a month to someone to live in year-round or through the summer. But now that you can Airbnb it and maybe get six hundred dollars in a weekend, you're gonna you're just gonna do that. So that takes a lot of housing stock out. And I think we've only touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much of that excess housing stock is going to be taken out of the rental market. Right. Um, and raise, which will then just leads to raising rents for what existing stock is there. Um, I'm interested to see if they put forth any tangible ideas that could turn into reality um, to, to address the housing shortage. Are there examples we can follow? Are there grants that we can get to do things? Are there good models for um, maybe a pri- public-private partnership to to build seasonal housing. Um, and then what what should we have here? I mean, I don't. There are a lot of people who would who say, well, I can't find a house, and it, with or I can't find a house that I can afford with the money I make. And then you talk to them, and they're making you know twenty seven thousand dollars a year. Well, it's probably not time to be buying a house. Right. I mean, the reality, unless you've saved up a ton of money and lived really frugally, but if you you know, trying to, and one of the things I want to do in a sustainability issue is really lay down, like, what is it, what is the expectation there? Um, for a long time, we've pushed home ownership as, like, the end-all, be-all in the United States, and we're one of the only countries that actually thinks that way. In right. most other countries, it's more based on on renting and not owning. And I own a home now, um, but I, I didn't get a home until I was 38 years old and um, much farther along in my career and married and two incomes to buy it. Right. Um, some people have an expectation that they can be, they should be 26 and make $35,000 and live by themselves and be able to get a $250,000 quality house. And right. that's just not reality. Right. And so, it, it, it's, it's different for everybody. I mean, I grew up with that old fashioned expectation that you buy a house. Uh, my parents tried to buy a house as quickly as they could, uh, out of high school, they got married right away and we're, we're trying to to get a house as soon as possible. But then my sister just bought her first house, uh, two years ago. And she's 14 years older than I am. So she's almost 40 and she just moved into a house. And it was something yeah. that she 
never really wanted to do until her late 30s. She right. was totally fine renting an apartment. Um, and it, it's it's just it's just different. It's whatever works for you. I mean, I, I'm one of the only people in my friend group, uh, even back in Minneapolis, who owns a house. Um, so it's just, it, it's what works for people at the time. And I think that if I were trying to make things work up here in Door County, I would I would probably have a hard time finding a place to rent anyway. Yeah, so, the rental market is the one that's more distressing to me than than the purchase market. As much as I see people who struggle to find, who really want to buy, but there's just not much stock that's even available for under 250 And what is available is just like often in pretty rough shape. Um, but as problematic as that is, and as much as I'd like to see that addressed, I think the rental market, it, particularly in Northern Door, um, although it seems like it's not great in, in Sturgeon Bay area either, but they, they have um, built a bunch of apartments there over the last year, and those will all come on the market next year. But in Northern Door, I mean, it's just, there, it's not like you can look in a classified section or online anywhere or in Craigslist and see this wealth of apartments available. I mean, it's really like getting lucky of a, of a friend giving you the first inkling that there's going to be this apartment or that they're moving and you should call my landlord because it's, it's just really hard to come by. Right. Any other minor things that you're looking forward to in 2019? Um, as a basketball fan, I'm really excited about the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law is huge into basketball. Both of them are. And like, that's been his big thing. And he's like, dude, you should like the Milwaukee Bucks because you live in Wisconsin now and their color is green and that's my favorite color. Uh, You're wearing green right now. I am. Uh, you basically look like a, a, a khaki version of a Milwaukee Bucks uniform. Right. right. Now. Well, and I really like the name Giannis Anadokounmpo. I think that that's really I fun can't to say, say the last name, but I love Giannis. Yeah. So it's like, I guess I guess I like the Milwaukee Bucks. I've never really watched a game, although it was on during Christmas. So um, they they're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, one of the best teams in the league now. And it's kind of hard to fathom, but like the Wisconsin has the Milwaukee Bucks who have probably the MVP in the NBA this year. Definitely one of the top four players in the NBA. Plays for the Milwaukee Bucks right now. And one of the most freakish athletes that's ever stepped foot on a basketball court. And it's just still like kind of this, you don't hear a lot of people talking about it. I'm like, we are really lucky to have that right now. Right. And hopefully he stays in Milwaukee. It sounds like he's a, he seems like a really nice, humble guy from really, really humble background in, in Greece. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, most of my life, the Bucks have been pretty awful. So I'm, I'm looking forward to taking advantage of um, and not taking for granted the, this one stretch when they seem like they're going to be pretty good. All right. Maybe that's my New Year's resolution. I'll watch more Bucks games. Watch more Bucks games. And uh, the other, of course, you know, everyone's talking about who the next Packers coach is going to be. So that's going to be um, interesting to see whether it's excited about who it is or just disgusted with who they choose. Right. It's going to take me a couple more years to get into the Packers. I think that the, the Packers fans up here are so smothering that it, it's just all-encompassing. It's I, pretty I just absurd. Need a while. Yeah. need a while to slowly get in there. I think the books <laughs> I can do. Yeah. So with that, I think that that just about does it for us this year. This is going to be the last, po- this is going to be the last Pulse podcast of 2018. Uh, lots of things to look forward to in 2019. And uh, thank you so much for chatting with me, Miles. I look forward to talking to you next year. Yeah, kind of crazy that we've got a year of, not quite a full year of podcasting under our belts, but, um, you know, when did we start this in April, May? Our first podcast was the sustainability issue. Okay, so April. So um, it's been fun learning how this all works and doing this little pseudo radio podcast show with you. And um, if uh, any of the listeners have ideas or topics or suggestions or think it stinks, whatever, let us know. My email is in the pulse, miles at ppulse.com. Yeah. If you think it stinks, email miles. Yes. And that's miles with a Y. 
great. Well, everybody have a happy new year and we will see you again soon. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. doesn't have a pulse. That's impossible, nurse. The Peninsula Pulse is available free everywhere. Hurry up, give him one. But doctor, I can't find a pulse. Nonsense, nurse. The Peninsula Pulse is in all the shops, restaurants, and hotels from Kiwani to Gills Rock. Hey, doc. I'm feeling better already. Hello, nurse. Are you free for dinner? My goodness, doctor. The Peninsula Pulse has resuscitated his social life. The Peninsula Pulse newspaper. Free on newsstands everywhere. Check it, read it, use it.